Hello and welcome to the Women's Agenda podcast. My name is Angela Priestley and I am the publisher on Women's Agenda. And with me today, I do not have Tata Lambert, I've got Shivani Kapal. How are you, Shivani? I'm great, Angela. How are you? Good, good, thank you. So on the episode today, we do have an interview with Professor Karen Phelps that I'll be sharing shortly. And that is regarding her new book, How to Keep Your Brain Young. And she has some excellent tips and advice in that book. We also will be talking about possibly the biggest story that we've reported on this week, which is the loss of Premier Gladys Berejiklian and the new New South Wales Premier, Dominic Perrottet. Plus the whistleblowing woman taking on one of the most powerful companies in the world and other wins for women that we'll get to very shortly. So thank you for joining us. Now, Shivani is the founder of The Remarkable Woman. Go and check it out. Shivani is also a new mother, which is why I haven't been able to have this conversation with you in a little while. And your beautiful baby is in the background and full props to you becoming a new mum in lockdown during the pandemic. You are amazing. Oh, thank you. I think as a new mum, you want to be told that as often as you can, because you definitely don't feel amazing a lot of the time. There is a lot of uncertainty. And as a as an entrepreneur, I don't deal well with uncertainty and babies give you lots of curveballs. So thank you. It's very kind of you to say that. Shivani, as you know, we do like to start for a win for women. What is your win this week? My win for women, we've always known, but we haven't actually talked about or celebrated. And that is that women are actually better investors than men. It has been proven. It gets proven by studies. <laughs> the EPA has done exactly that. Women actually average a 12% better return in investments than men. Um, There's a hell of a lot of reasons as to why that would be the case. And um, and, and one of them is that we are a little bit more risk adverse. So we do tend to look a little bit closer at our investments and make some better informed decisions. So whilst we don't make up the majority of investors, I think we should definitely get out there and, and make some of those good informed decisions and get investing. It is good news. That's great. You'll have to share me that research. And, and you're right. I do see that. You do see that study like every few months that it comes out. It's like, well, obviously. So yeah, love that. Send it. No, yeah. Indeed, I, I will. And, and look the other way, Angela. I mean, Airtree did some research on this as well recently, and they found that they had to discount female entrepreneurs' growth rate less than what they did male entrepreneurs' growth rates because they would overly inflate what they thought they were going to achieve, whereas women didn't. They were far more realistic and therefore they were better founders to back so more good news on that front too yeah I love there was a great comment out of one of those articles where one of the investors they just kind of said oh we just kind of take what we just sort of take what the male founder comes in and claims to be uh the the, the future and then we sort of for the for the female investor we we might inflate that a little bit just to try and balance it out which was which was quite amusing So my win this week is a little bit different. Um, So it's just come out overnight, interview shared on uh, 60 Minutes in the United States. So we have been following the Facebook files. And Tyler and I spoke about this last week. And the Facebook files, which were files of documents, including research that Facebook did revealing that it has known for some time the damage that Instagram does to young women, particularly around body image and anxiety and rates of depression. Last night, we were introduced to the whistleblower behind those files. Her name is um, Frances Hogan, and she is a former Facebook employee. She leaked the materials to the Wall Street Journal last month. In doing so, 
incredible professional and personal risks. She's 37 years old. She's been in this industry for 15 years. She's worked across different tech companies. And she said that, you know, Facebook was definitely the most problematic in terms of the conflicts of interest that were there between what was good for the public and what was good for Facebook. She had to go and photocopy sort of thousands and thousands of documents to to do this. It was was just a huge decision on her part. And what I saw in that interview was just this courage and conviction and determination to be the change and, and to be part of the solution. And she wants to work with Facebook in terms of making it better, but I just thought that was uh, just a wonderful thing. To, I mean, I don't know what the result will be for her from here. I know it's going to be difficult, um, but I, I just thought the interview was magnificent and well done to her for to take this stance. Oh, absolutely. And whistleblowers have to take so much risk and there's such little reward in it for them and they always do it for higher purpose and we, and we need more people like her so yes kudos to her yes okay so to our other stories so new south wales uh got a new premier following a leadership ballot in the liberal party dominic uh, perite who i've been doing a lot of reading on over the past couple of days since i saw that the 39 year old father of six and staunchly religious uh treasurer would be uh, was tipped to take the leadership of the Liberal Party. So I have a little bit of concern about Dominic Perrottet, I know a lot of people do, given his opinions on climate, on uh, the fact that he voted against the move to decriminalise abortion last year, which was eventually passed through the New South Wales Parliament, and he, the fact that he uh, his opinions on religious freedom and the fact that he sort of made suggestions that they should outweigh the, quote, hurt feelings of other people. So a lot of concerns there. Um, but, Shivani, what we might do is we might go to the loss of the Premier, Gladys Berejiklian, and I think we might have some slightly different opinions here, but you have published on this today. So share with me your thoughts on how you felt on Friday seeing that Gladys Berejiklian would be resigning due to the ICAC investigation. Oh, goodness, Angela, my my first, you know, thought and feeling was just sheer and utter devastation. Gladys had been such an incredible steady hand um, and such a reliable leader and someone who's risen exactly when we needed her to. I just think about the way that she handled bushfires in late 2019 and early 2020 at a time where the nation needed its leader and ScoMo really struggled to be that human face and engage with the people. Gladys was there time and time again and she really delivered what what the state needed from her and she was there and she was consistent. And and then, you know, you move into this, you know, huge pandemic and we've we've got to take into account, you know, this, this pandemic happened without any kind of handbook. There will certainly be one now. There will certainly be, you know, mounds of research around how to get this right in the future. But previously there wasn't. Of course, she has made mistakes in the past. Um, you know, we, we know that with the cruise liner when, yeah, you know, in around, you know, March last year. But, it, but she's gotten so much right. And again, she has delivered time and time again. She's balanced the the issues of health and industry when it comes to COVID and the lockdowns. She hasn't been trigger happy in locking down the entire state, instead moving to certain LGAs and really trying to balance this issue of mental health, um, you know, versus, you know, our overall health and protecting us from COVID. She's done an incredible job um, and gotten us to almost 70% vaccination rate. And, and all of a sudden we're left rudderless and leaderless and, and a huge shot 
you know, in, in morale. And so it really felt like there was this um, punishment being dealt before a verdict could be passed down. It felt as though, you know, there's an announcement of ICAC, there's no presumption of innocence, um, and away we go, we lose our premier. Now, I get it. I get that, you know, corruption can't wait and, you know, you, you do need to call it when you do. But I can't help but think, why now? You've had 12 months to sit on this. If you were going to do it, why didn't you do it sooner? And if you hadn't done it yet, why not just wait a little longer, um, given that, given that you know, the, the issue that is, um, you know, that, that is Darren Maguire has, has now passed and, and we've now got bigger problems on our hands. Um, and, um, and so I, I feel very conflicted by this and, and very saddened by her departure. I, I, I feel a lot of the same things. I'm not sure, I don't, I don't know, it's, the ICAC can wait. I, I feel corruption needs to be investigated. I, I, I just, I think that Berejiklian is perhaps a victim, if you want to use that word, but of the fact that New South Wales has the remote, most robust um, anti-corruption system in Australia in that sense. So it, it can be hard to, we, we've seen a lot of premiers brought down this way, which may actually be a good thing because it may suggest that the system is is somewhat working and that it goes and investigates these issues of integrity. And in this case, Gladys Berejiklian was in a relationship for five years with him and it was an undisclosed relationship. And we know that he was uh, personally benefiting, not necessarily from the relationship, but personally benefiting from his position in, in New South Wales uh, Parliament. So um, and for, you know, it, it could very much be the case that that had nothing to do with Berejiklian and that's what will get prosecuted at ICAC. And I hope that's the case. And then I think that we can really have a really good conversation about what Berejiklian's legacy and reputation will be long term. I'm with you, Shivani. I do think that she has been a great leader. I think that people in Victoria might have very different opinions. I'd say that people in New Zealand have very different opinions and elsewhere. Um, there is the matter that, you know, she locked down New South Wales too late. There was um, the Ruby Princess that you mentioned, which I'd actually long forgotten, but yet there's there's a litany of errors. But like you said, this is a pandemic. There is no clear playbook around yeah. how it's been gone. And Berejiklian, in that sense, um, did had had previous successes dealing with the alpha strain. And I think that Delta, as we've known, was something like that. Yeah. I think it's the leadership that she's shown, you know, I mean, we have not lived through this before and she has constantly bucked the trend in a really positive way in really challenging times that is this pandemic. You know, she was one of the ones and one of the only ones advocating for international arrivals, especially when Sydney, I believe, was taking 80% um, of, the, of the international arrivals. So we were carrying all of that risk from a quarantine perspective. Um, but... but you know, she was the one saying, well, hang on, we've got to get Australians back home. And she was really bucking that, you know, the, the international, uh, sorry, the, the, the national language around, no, we, we need to keep these people out, which you simply cannot do. You know, she was one of the first ones who said, hang on, we need to move away from case numbers and we need to start focusing on numbers of hospitalizations and numbers of death. And she was the only one who had the courage, you know, like it or not, the, the courage to say, actually, we need to move away from this hyper anxiety that these daily 11 a.m press conferences are creating and and we're going to stop doing it it was a hugely unpopular decision with journalists as we know and um it was really put out there to, to be roasted but at the same time she made the call nonetheless um you know that level of forward thinking is it, it was was incredible for these times so i also think that yeah she made that call at a time when yeah things were starting to 
improve, I guess, in the situation. We've certainly seen that in the last few weeks as we've seen some of the numbers come down and obviously the VAX rates go up. And it is, I think, somewhat tragic that she won't see through being able to make that announcement of the 70% uh, target being reached. And um, I have that sense, the timing. I was like, why, why not let, why not have a Premier see through this and we'll deal with this later? I do definitely have that, exactly. that sense of that there as well. What I think is the bigger issue here, and, and Shivani, you allude to this in your piece as well, but is that we see uh, these, um, uh, these, these allegations and what's going on with this investigation and we know what's going on in federal politics and yet there is no similar Commonwealth integrity um, ICAC version. That there is no. definitely something there ready to be legislated and it's been sitting there and Morrison promised it 1,000 days ago and yet that Commonwealth Integrity Commission has not been established so what we see is sports rorts we see the regional rorts the road rorts the car park rorts the mysterious load of money that you know christian porter found for his legal fees like we not to mention rape allegations and still and still surviving that exactly and and no in, integrity commission to kind of ha- have available to consider and investigate these things so definitely i see it against that backdrop and why it's can be so frustrating to see it here with um with a female, I might say from our readership surveys uh, that we ran, particularly at the end of last year, Berejiklian's name came up. I might say with Dan Andrews' name as well, over and over again, as someone who had uh, courage and as somebody who uh, was said to be transparent and um, being a great communicator, which is what people really wanted to see during this pandemic period. So New South Wales has ICAC. We don't have an, an ICAC equivalent, um, you know, in, in, in federal politics, but we need to. But also, do we need to have that in order to have integrity? If, if you think about why Gladys has done what she's done, she's actually following her own standards that she put in place. So there have been other people who have fallen to the ICAC sword and, and have since been cleared as well. And, and Gladys has said, well, you know, if you're being investigated, the expectation is, you know, via via her actions that you stand down, and she and she did not support a reopening of any kind of inquiry. That's the standard that she set. It was the standard that she also had to walk. Now, imagine if that simply happens all through. You don't need a commission for that, right? You just need really good leadership. You need good values, good culture, integrity. So imagine if that happens, you know, from a national level. Imagine if. If Scott Morrison does that, you know, why why does this need to be such a such a, a hard thing to do? Mm-hmm. Um, it needs to be fair across the board and it simply isn't. And so I feel as though women are playing fair at a game that is simply unfair. Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't work. Yeah. And we do see that happen over and over again in other areas of life as well. It's not only in politics, but where, yes, women are held to a, a higher standard than their male counterparts. And I think that women should have the equal opportunity to be just as corrupt as men. So that's, you know, we need equal opportunity on corruption. Right? <laughs> on, on, on all. I mean, we're always taking the high road. Sometimes the low road is just as fun. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I want to cross to the interview that we have with uh, Professor Karen Phelps. So as I mentioned at the top of the episode, Professor Karen Phelps has just written this excellent book, How to Keep Your Brain Young. And so the book is kind of like a handbook. You can really dip in and out of it. And it depends on where you are at life, what you'll get out of it in terms of trying to think about exercise and nutrition, um, answers around stress, various other factors. Professor Karen Phelps is um, she's probably one of Australia's best known 
GPs. You may also uh, remember her from such times as holding the seat for Wentworth um, as an independent until the election in 2019 for a short period there. She's also on Sydney City Council. So I will cross to that interview now. Professor Karen Phelps, thank you so much for joining me today and congratulations on your, your new book. There are so many topics that you could write on and obviously there's been so much in your career and so many different aspects of your career. So can I ask why you decided to focus on brain health? I think brain health is something that a lot of people think about and they worry about. And I've been in general practice for a long time now. This is my 40th year in medicine. And so I I think through general practice, you tend to discover what it is that people are concerned about and where you need to find more information to be able to help people to address their concerns. So I see a lot of people who are worried that there's somebody in their family who's got cognitive problems or you know, is suspected that they're developing dementia, uh, people who uh, are going through uh, traumatic times, for example, in their lives and they're worried about the effect that that's having on on their ability to think clearly, on anxiety, on depression. Uh, uh, people are worried about if they start forgetting names or forgetting where they left the keys or uh, forgetting details, not feeling as if they're thinking clearly, and then they're worried about developing dementia. So I thought, you know, we haven't really got that holy grail, if you like, of, of the cure for de- dementia. And so what we have to do is to optimise brain health for as long as we can. Now, through my whole career, I've looked at ways of motivating people to protect their health in whatever way they can. And interestingly, there hasn't been a lot published. Uh, There's a lot in the medical literature, but there hasn't been a lot published for people to actually take a preventive approach to their brain health. And so what I did was have a look at all of the aspects of uh, things that people can actually do, really usable information, to optimise their brain health, basically starting at conception and going right through all of the stages. What really um, struck me about this book was that it does offer a handbook for sort of anything around brain health from, um, you know, preventing brain energy to the idea of the need for more sleep to diet to the effects of menopause to uh, conception. And and I think that's uh, what pulled me in particularly because often I might see a book like this and I don't know if, how and maybe you might um, be able to share if there's a certain category of people or it happens at a certain age group when people start asking you about some of these questions. But sometimes I think about brain health and think I don't need to worry about that yet because I'm in in my 30s I think that's something that I might start worrying about when I'm in my 50s but actually all of this is linked and you do need to start considering some of these aspects. Look Angela it's quite true that people will often focus on their own health when they think it's close to home when they think that there is a current or very close reason that they need to be concerned so you know I often see people who for example have uh, someone in their family who has been diagnosed with cancer for example and then they'll say oh what's my risk of cancer I think when people are younger they don't tend to think about themselves developing cognitive impairment or having a problem with their brain function at a much later age, unless, of course, they've had a friend who's had a brain injury or uh, a a problem with their brain, a stroke, for example. Um, And and so it's important that I think we we really focus on what we can do to optimise our brain health so that it lasts the distance, 
so that you're not only physically healthy in other aspects like uh, your heart health, for example, but so that your brain goes the distance and it lasts in good order for as long as it, as you can. Now, we don't yet know how to prevent a lot of cases of dementia, but we can certainly maintain brain health by optimising it when you're younger and things like looking at uh, the amount of exercise you do, the amount of sleep that you get, the kind of nutrition that you feed your brain throughout life, avoiding toxins like cigarettes and alcohol and illicit drugs. These are all the sorts of things that you can do to protect your brain function. And it's one of... Sometimes it's it's a case of you, you don't know what you've got till it's gone and, and if people start losing their memory or losing their cognitive ability, it's not too late to halt that decline but by starting earlier, you'll be, if you like, um, investing in your brain health for later on in your life. If somebody has a person in their, fa- in their family with cognitive impairment, it tends to focus them on what maybe they can do at a younger age to help preserve their brain function too. I thought that maybe I'd just ask about a couple of things that are relevant to, um, particularly to our audience. So one of those would be stress and the link to brain health there. And to see, I mean, what kind of accessible things can we do to help? And I say this from the perspective of many women who'd be listening to this right now who might be feeling stress, possibly trying to manage a career and kids and relationship and the mental load that comes with the pandemic. Maybe they're not getting enough sleep because they don't get the opportunity to get enough sleep. But what would you advise in in that situation? I think it's really important to focus on the things you can achieve. Now, there are some situations that are out of our control, like at the moment, the COVID pandemic, you need to be able to do what you can do. So if it's possible for you to find time in the day to do your exercise, then make that time. If you've got uh, the the possibility of being able to, to, to get out and get amongst nature, then that's something that you can do. Uh, We know that, uh, that stress does have an effect on the brain. It has an effect on brain chemicals. Uh, We know, for example, that one of the neurotransmitters or the chemical messengers in the brain uh, called noradrenaline is high under stress. We know that cortisol levels are high in the body when you're under stress and uh, and there is an effect on the brain. Now, uh, you might have heard of a condition called post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD. That's a stress-induced brain change. And there's uh, an area in your brain or several areas in your brain that are interconnected that have a a reaction to stress uh, or to a traumatic event or series of events. And so uh, it it actually creates some structural changes in the brain that uh, change the function of that part of the brain so that if later in life you encounter a trigger that reminds you of that traumatic event, it's as if you're in that moment. And so one of the fascinating things with looking at a thing called neuroplasticity, which is the ability to change the structure and function of the brain, is that through therapy you can actually change the way, uh, in a positive way, that part of the brain functions so that you can heal from um, from post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm. But looking at general lifestyle issues and their effects on the brain, and I go through all of this in the book about you know, how much sleep do you need, what quality of sleep, how do you improve your sleep quality, things like nutrition. A lot of people leave out really fundamental nutritional elements 
making sure that you check any medications that you're taking, and particularly as you get older, if you're inclined to, to perhaps be taking one or more medications, they might be affecting your brain function, and that's important to check out. Uh, when you're talking about about general stress levels, look at where you can ask for help. Reach out and ask for help. Look at prioritising things so that if there are responsibilities that you have in your life that you can delegate to other people or where you can get help or where you can say, I can't manage that in amongst everything else I'm doing at the moment, then those are ways of managing the load. But then given that everybody has a load on them at any given time, it's also important to look at stress management techniques like yoga or tai chi or meditation, mindfulness, these things mm-hmm. that help you and help your brain to deal with the stresses that are on you. Mm, okay. So you, you have touched on physical activity there and um, you know, some of the options as well particularly. I know it's hard to, to generalise about this as a group of all women or anything, but um, what is there anything that you can recommend around optimum uh, physical activity levels for women if there's a certain amount of time we should be doing each day or every week? And, again, for those of us who want to do everything possible to set up for older age, both um, in terms of our brain and, and, and in terms of physically as well, but who might not have, you know, who, who do have busy lives as well and, and can't necessarily keep up with what influencers on Instagram are, are telling them to go and do, which isn't realistic. So what is optimum and realistic for, for women? Well, I'm often asked this question, Angela, and, and the question I'm asked is how much exercise do I need to do? And there's a couple of answers here. There's the minimum and then there's the ideal. And I make this point in in the book, How to Keep Your Brain Young. And when we're looking at brain health, the minimum amount of exercise you need to get the effect that you want as an adult is 30 minutes a day, five to six times a week. Ideal, on the other hand, is more like an hour a day most weeks. What Mm -hmm. type of exercise, the advice I always give people is the best type of exercise to do is the one you're going to do. So it's no point having great intentions because great intentions don't keep you fit and don't do you any good. Uh, but I think it's really important to match uh, what you like doing, find um, a, a, an activity that you like doing. Some people prefer to exercise alone. Others prefer to exercise in uh, groups or in, in pairs. Uh, and I think the intensity of the exercise also will differ depending on your age, on what your current level of fitness is and if you have any medical conditions. And some people will need to see a physiotherapist or a trainer or a um, an exercise physiologist if they've got medical conditions that make it difficult to exercise. And, uh, and for the brain, uh, low to moderate ex- in- intensity aerobic exercise is probably the best benefit. So things like walking, swimming, cycling, those sorts of things um, mm. are, are really important for, for brain health. And, of course, in the body, everything's connected to everything else in some way. And so uh, if you, for example, look after your blood sugar levels, that will help to maintain your bro- uh, brain function. So uh, people, for example, who develop type 2 diabetes, if that's not well managed, then that can have an effect on brain function. Looking after lifestyle factors like exercise will improve your cardiovascular health and of course what feeds the brain the blood vessels from the heart and so the blood vessels around the brain also will respond to all of those lifestyle measures that are good for the heart like maintaining healthy cholesterol levels healthy blood 
uh, sugar con- control and healthy uh, cholesterol uh, cholesterol levels and mm. blood pressure. Mm, okay, okay. So in your book, and I can't remember which chapter it was in reference to, but I did see you mention weight training. Um, so three three times weight training, which, which again can seem uh, could sound kind of foreign to to a lot of us, not not only women, to a lot of us. Is that something that you'd recommend? And is it something that you can see people getting into at any age, sort of um, regardless of, of where they're at, if it, if it is safe for them to do so? Well, again, I think it's important if you're starting out uh, or ramping up your exercise, then it's important to get instructions about what to do safely. And a lot of people, when they think of the words weight training, they're thinking of bodybuilding and sort of pumping mm-hmm. iron. It's not like that. Mm. You can actually have, uh, in, if you go to a gym, there are resistance machines which will uh, gradually increase weight as you're able to to manage increased weights to a point. Uh, you can either use some light weights at home. You can use resistance bands. There's all sorts of ways of providing that resistance that we, we call resistance training or weight training. And, and again, it's, it's something that uh, you, you need to enjoy doing it and uh, or at least enjoy the effect that it has afterwards even if you don't enjoy it necessarily while you're doing it but getting the that uh, blood pumping through your muscles increasing your muscle strength all of that is so important at every age you know and, and uh, you know we have for example if somebody is older and, and they have difficulty doing some kinds of exercise then an exercise like tai chi for example is is terrific for muscle strength for balance and for stress management and it has a positive impact on the brain as well. In in your research, and, and you may not have come across this, but I, I want to ask the question, but um, did you see any considerable or even notable research gaps when it comes to brain health between men and women? Do, do we need to consider differences there? Were there areas that seemed underdeveloped in terms of a female experience with, with a brain? Well, there's a lot of research that's been done around, um, you know, for example, menopause, and mm. uh, and that's a, a uniquely f- female experience. Interestingly, with with menopause, we see a, a drop in particularly the hormone estrogen in in the body, and women quite often will say that they get what they call menopause brain, where they become forgetful. That's a time when a lot of women worry about whether they're developing dementia or not. Interestingly, the main effect of that is in that first year after menopause, and then it tends to improve again. So I think that's very reassuring. Finally, so, and you've mentioned this in the conversation, that it has been 40 years since you graduated from medical Mm -hmm. school, and I noticed that you mentioned that in your acknowledgements as well. So I, I, I'm going to guess, but I'm I'm happy to be told that I'm wrong. But I'm going to guess that the career that you're having is different to what you may have imagined back then. <laughs> what did you imagine back then? Where did you think you would go? And and just to follow on from that, given everything that you've done across multiple different fields, and including also writing your fourth book here, is there any key tip or something that you might note that has been particularly helpful along the way? What did I think? Uh, when I left school and I went into medical school, I saw a clear direction uh, that I was going to be a doctor. Uh, what I didn't necessarily expect was that I was going to have a baby in my intern year and uh, that that would really determine a lot of my career choices from that point on. And uh, so I spent a lot of time th- thinking about what I could do to contribute to the lives of others 
and uh, and to enhance other people's health and well-being. I became very interested in exercise quite early on in my twenties, um, and it was right at the beginning of the uh, beginning of aerobics. Mm. I actually got into aerobics and became an aerobics teacher for a while while I was a general practitioner as well. And and at the time, I think some people thought, "Hang on, that that's unusual." But when you think about it, and given that this is a long time ago, it made absolute sense to me to be uh, something of a, a role model for fitness and be talking about health because health isn't just about dealing with disease. It's about prevention, which is what this book, How to Keep Your Brain Young, is about. It's about mm. what you can do to plan for a healthier now and a healthier future for your brain. And so uh, that, that was not a bit more than a hobby for me. I also got into media very early on. And, uh, and that was also in my 20s when I saw a great need for reliable, factual health information. And at the time, there weren't any doctors uh, very much who were doing this work. And so uh, I worked in television, radio, and in uh, magazines and newspapers. And over a period of time, you know, contributed to uh, what I think has been amazing growth in health literacy in the community uh, over mm. that, that period of time. And, uh, and of course, being in general practice, uh, I uh, saw the, the need for, for that health information for people. I also saw a need for system change. And so uh, I went into medical politics and, and joined the AMA, became president of AMA New South Wales and then president of federal AMA so that I could institute um, change at a systemic level uh, I have currently on City of Sydney Council. I've been the Deputy Lord Mayor of Sydney and, uh, as you would know, had a, a stint in federal parliament as well mm. because uh, I have a belief that, uh, that, that government can make a lot of decisions that affect an impact on people's well-being and on their health. So, yes, it has been a, an interesting and varied career so far, and I say mm. so far because mm. <laughs> who knows what the future will bring. Um but, uh, you know, I, th I think when you talk about how, how to manage, you know, having children, having a career, uh, making sort of decisions that incorporate all of the people that you are responsible for in your life, I think it's also, again, very important that you take care of yourself in mm. amongst all of that because you look after others best when you look after yourself. Yeah, I didn't know that about you being an aerobics instructor and it, it seems like it would have been a lot on your plate at that time but then I know that, you know, some of the best advice that, that I've heard is that if you can find uh, that time and the hours to invest in, in staying physically active and healthy, particularly throughout your 20s, it is actually one of the best investments that you can make and that you'll carry on. So I guess that you discovered that at some point, but I just find it incredible also that you have this um, flexibility around your career in terms of being able to have all these different roles occurring at one time. But then it really does sound like it comes back to that same thing of, of wanting you know, better health outcomes for, for the general public. Everything I've done in my career has really been around uh, improving the health and well-being of people who need information. I mean, when I think back when I started working in the media uh, back in the 1980s, the level of health literacy in the community wasn't great and people didn't feel necessarily empowered to have those important informed conversations with their doctors about their health decisions. 
you know, asking about things like, you know, what side effects is this medication likely to have? If I take this particular path or have this particular operation, you know, what are the positives? What are the negatives? What um, alternatives might there be? I got very interested in integrative medicine uh, as well, which was about giving people choice about things like non-pharmaceutical treatments, uh, meditation, yoga, Tai Chi, acupuncture. I mean, a lot of these were fairly radical concepts as, as you know, the decades. A lot of these were very radical concepts years ago, which now you'd say, well, of course, you know, if you've you know, got an injury, then you'll go and get some acupuncture for some pain relief. And But I tell you, in the 80s and 90s, it wasn't quite so accepted. Mm. And so it's it's been interesting you know, being able to see the evolution of evidence and the evolution of practice over all those years. And, you know, I'm really fascinated to see where the next decade will take us. Mm. Okay. Well, thank you so much for your time. And I think we're all fascinated to see where the next decade will take your career as well. So, Thank you, Angela. Thank you so much to Professor Phelps for that interview. And thank you for joining me today, Siobhan. Uh, I will ask one final question, which I love to put to Tyler, but I need to put to you because you are in uh, that world of having a newborn. I also know that you've been returning to work as well. It's all kind of happening. You're very busy, so you probably don't get any time for this. But I will ask anything that you're watching, anything (laughs) that you're reading that you just want more people to get stuck into right now. Oh, yes, actually. So I read Made by Stephanie Land last year or maybe the year before. Time is all Time and space are all blended for me. And, of course, Netflix has turned that into a series and I've only just started watching it. So most new uh, new mothers would know you have your late-night feeds and so I do my late-night feeds and, and sit there in, in front of the TV and keep myself company, um, especially while I'm sitting up for 20 minutes to make sure the little one doesn't um, doesn't throw back his milk and we're just sitting there and, and so I get a bit of TV time. And um, it's been wonderful and it's been, um, you know, a very humbling reminder of just how tough life can be and Stephanie Land's story, um, which is played out through um, through the series, is a great tale of courage and resilience um, and a beautiful tale of the mother's love as well. So if you haven't started watching it, definitely watch it. If you, ha- if you need something to read, then the book is also incredible and highly recommended. Awesome. Okay, I will check it out. I might start reading the book first of all. That, that would be a nice way to get stuck into it. Okay, well, thank you so much, Shivani. Thank you for listening to the Women's Agenda podcast. A reminder that you can get access to all the stories that we discussed and more on our website at womensagenda.com.au where you can also subscribe to our newsletter so you get these stories in your newsletter as they are breaking. Thank you to Shivani for joining me today and also to Professor Karen Phelps for joining us during our interview. Her book is available in all good bookstores and if you can't get a book to a bookstore, you can get it on Amazon, you can get it in other great online places and you can also get the ebook which is available. Thank you for listening. <laughs>